It was the summer of 1979. It was just about a year before uh, Sham and I made our decision and were called by the elders to join the staff of Rexdale. And uh, periodically on Sunday afternoons, as many of you do, Sham and I would have people over to our home for lunch. And Bev Sheldon, who was on staff at that time, was coming over. And Pastor Ingram uh, called me just before the service and said, uh, we, uh, you know our intern who's with us, can you just take her uh, also for lunch to your home? He said, fine. And that was our first introduction to Miriam Charter. Miriam was over with us, and she was an intern here at Rexdale. And that began just a, a wonderful and a joyful relationship that has now lasted over 32 years. Not only with Miriam and us, but the whole church as well. And we've had the privilege and the joy of, of uh, praying with Miriam, uh, laughing with her, rejoicing with her, anguishing with her, helping her think through many of the challenges in life that she's faced and the decision points in her life, and just watching this woman's amazing life of uh, steadfast faithfulness to God. Her love for the church, her love for the next generation. And that's uh, why it is just such a blessing for us to say from that huge streams of names that you saw on that video. To have one of them actually right here with us today to help us in our look back and then give us a word forward. Miriam, welcome. Well, when, when Sundar asked me, phone several months ago to see if I would speak this weekend, I said to myself, only at Rexdale would they integrate missions with their Jubilee celebration. And I think that's so appropriate because missions is what I believe has been at the core of why God has blessed this church so profoundly. Um, I've been attached to this church, as Sundar said, for 32 years, and would say that without doubt, Rexdale has been perhaps the most formative influence in my 61 years. Um, some of you weren't even born when in 1979, as a 30-year-old pastoral intern from the seminary in Regina, with a, a deep sense of calling on my life, but absolutely no clarity as to where that calling would lead, this church embraced me and loved me and spoke into my life and affirmed God's call on my life and in the next few years discerned with me that this was indeed a vocational call, a, a calling that would lead me into pastoral ministry and then missions and now in educational ministry. And as with so many young people, so many of the people you saw on the screen, this place has been a place of processing. And what has always amazed me is that you have not just taken interns or processed young people who joined here. You have not hoarded the resources into which you have reflected, into which you've invested, but you have joyfully sent them out across Canada and around the world. And so I say today that your influence extends far beyond these walls and this neighborhood, but this church's impact is felt all over the world. And I, I look upon it as a, a conduit of blessing to the world. One of the advantages of growing older is that when you look back, you can see the big picture. We can better understand where we're going if we understand where we have been. I think it was Kierkegaard who said, life is understood by looking back but it has to be lived forward. And so I want to look back a bit this morning, but conclude with joyful anticipation of where I see 
the history of this church pointing. Last year, I had the amazing privilege of making a return journey to Romania to celebrate 25 years from the, the day that we started that ministry among women. Really, it was the ministry, now I understand, it was the ministry for which I was born. And what a privilege to have lived long enough to see the fruit of my labors. But I want to say this morning that many times last summer when I was there, I was thinking, this isn't just the fruit of my labor, because it is every bit as much the fruit of the labor of Rexdale Alliance Church, because you invested so much into, the, into that ministry. But it was a, a joyful privilege to celebrate the 25th anniversary of those, those humble beginnings in 1985. Many of you remember, because Rexdale was one of those strong churches that sent me out to Europe in 85 to work in the underground church in Eastern Europe, in countries like Romania, Bulgaria, Czechoslovakia, Hungary, Poland. Those were some of the, the darkest years of the communist regime in that part of the world. I went to Romania thinking that I was going to work in the underground seminary, teach Greek to the um, Romanian pastors, but it took me all of two minutes to figure out that those men would never take teaching from a woman. <laughs> but you know, God placed in my heart an idea, and it was perhaps an audacious idea. And that was that I would train the women. And in 1983, women in the evangelical church in Eastern Europe had very little role. Their primary purpose in life was to keep the Christian population growing. And so they had many babies, and they prayed for their husbands. But to train women to serve the church, unheard of. And I'll never forget that day in 1983, sitting in that stuffy little room at the back of a Baptist church in Bucharest, and around the table were the ten of the leading pastors from the evangelical movement in that country. Every one of them had risked their lives, as we had, to be present at that little clandestine meeting. And that day I asked those ten pastors if they would let me train their wives. It was an audacious idea. And after recovering from the shock, one of the pastors said, Train women? You can't. They talk too much. <laughs> but you know... That day, all ten of those narrow-minded, scared-as-rats men <laughs> said, I'm in, you can train my wife. They didn't talk to their wives. But they, they, each of them committed, and that day, they took this huge step of faith. And a few months later, ten uneducated, frightened women gathered in Bucharest to begin to study with me. We didn't have a clue what we were doing. I don't know what we would have done if the secret police had discovered our meetings. But every time we met, I would point the women in the direction of 2 Timothy 2.2. And I would remind them of the generations in that verse where Paul said to his disciples, the things you've learned from me in the presence of many witnesses, the same commit to other people who in turn will be able to teach others. And so each of those women would go back to their towns and villages and begin to gather a little circle of women around them. And guess what they taught them? 
everything I had taught them. And from that little planting of ten women began to emerge an army of women disciple-makers. And the first generation gathered the second generation around them. And the second generation, the third generation. There was exponential growth. And last year, 28 years later, I was invited back to be the keynote speaker at a, a magnificent celebration of what God has done. I had no idea what I was about to witness because the Romanian woman who now leads the ministry said to me, she said, there might be 500 women at the conference, but they represent thousands and thousands and thousands of women who have been equipped as disciple makers. So I went early to the conference, a day early, and arrived in that little mountain resort in Transylvania. And I walked over to the empty conference hall a day before the celebrations, and I stood at the back, saw those 500 chairs set out, and thought to myself, how could they possibly be filled? Of course, I was thinking back to those tiny little groupings across Romania, where we would huddle for hours at a time, hoping the secret police wouldn't discover us. And I could hardly believe that those chairs were going to be filled. But the next day, the women began to arrive from all over Romania. And the trickle of women became a stream. And hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of women arrived, more than 500. And I, of course, was thinking back to those years under Nicolae Ceausescu in Romania. In the early days, none of us had any idea of what would emerge from that feeble little planting. I had traveled to that conference with a a Romanian pastor, and on the way we stopped in a little mountain village for a bathroom break, and my driver said he, he knew an old pastor who would probably let us use his bathroom and probably in Romanian fashion provide us with a meal and as soon as we arrived, the, the eyes, my eyes met with the pastor's wives, and she looked so familiar, but I couldn't quite place her. And halfway through our lunch of cornmeal mush, I began to realize why this woman was so familiar. I realized that this was Mia, one of those women in that first group 10, 25, 28 years ago. I remember how unimpressive Mia was. Many times she told me, oh, I could never train women. But every time our group met, I would hammer that idea of 2 Timothy 2.2 because I believed it was the only way that the church in communist Europe was going to survive the ravages of the Ceausescu dictatorship. And when I realized she was Mia, I said to her, you were in that first group, weren't you? And she dashed off into her bedroom and came back with a notebook And I looked at those notes and realized that they were my teaching notes from 25 years before. Notes she had taken during those long hours in hiding with those groups. And she had carefully written down everything I was teaching. And for years, that has been her teaching manual as she has taught generation after generation. She joined us the next day at the the conference And every time I saw her, she was being hugged by a younger woman. They absolutely love this wonderful lady. And I couldn't count how many of the women told me, Mia discipled me. And you know, the same thing happened to me. It was was humbling as the women would come up to me and, and ask to get a picture taken with me. And they would say to me, perhaps, you are my spiritual grandmother. 
or you are my spiritual great-grandmother. And we would trace the line back to that original group. I spent three amazing days in that wonderful, with those women in that mountain village, rehearsing the faithfulness of God. And they asked me to tell them the story. There were only four or five of the original ten there because several have already gone to heaven. Several are too old to travel now. But there was the second and the third and the fourth generation. And I felt compelled to tell these women of just what sacrifices their spiritual mothers had made in order that the gospel be preserved in that communist country. They had no idea what it was like to live under communism. Unfortunately, they'd never heard the story. It's as though the Romanians want to forget that time. And I said, no, no, you must tell the story. And as I told the stories, tears would stream down their faces as the reality dawned upon them. I want to speak for a few minutes this morning about why it's important to tell our stories, why we have jubilee celebrations, why we rehearse the past as we look ahead to the future. During the years that I traveled in communist Europe, the pastors would discover that I was one of seven children. And I also would tell them that all seven of my father's children have followed on in faith to serve God. And they would say, what did your father do that made the passing of faith so effective? And you know, I never quite knew how to answer that question. But this morning I think I have the answer. Here's what my father did. He told us his story. My father has been gone for 40 years now. I, don't, I can hardly remember his face, but I remember his stories. And as my father told us his story, without even realizing it, the next generation was, was beginning to piece together the answers to three very important questions. And those three questions that his stories answered are, who is God, who am I, and what is my purpose in life? As he told his stories, his children were formulating answers that became the foundation upon which life, looking forward, would be lived. So many of you have heard my stories, and sometimes I think you must grow weary of them. But I've concluded that I have to keep telling the stories, because the stories of God's people are part of the covenant of God with his people. And I believe the scripture shows us that. I want to take you to an Old Testament passage that demonstrates this so perfectly for us. It's the story in Joshua chapter 4, where Israel is standing on the east side of the Jordan River, ready to move into the promised land. Can you just imagine 40,000 people standing on the banks of the Jordan, filled with anticipation at the idea of stepping into the promised land, terrified about what they knew was on the other side, but beginning to understand what it means to be part of the covenant people of God. And what does God tell them to do through Joshua? He says to them, listen to these verses from Joshua chapter 4, verse 4 to 6. So Joshua called the 12 men he had appointed from the Israelites, one from each tribe, and said to them, Go over before the ark of the Lord into the middle of the Jordan. Each of you is to take up a stone on his shoulder, according to the number of the tribes of the Israelites, to serve as a sign among you. In the future, when your children ask, 
What do those stones mean? Tell them that the flow of the Jordan River was cut off from before the people as they crossed. That pile of rocks was to become a reminder, a sign to the people of Israel. Notice in verse 6 it said, In the future, when your children ask, tell them what the stones mean. Tell them the story. Though That pile of rocks would disappear, but the stories would remain. Those stones were a memorial for what God has done. And in a sense, this morning, I'm, I'm building a memorial here in this sanctuary. Why did Israel need that memorial? Why do we need a memorial? Because history shows the people of God what bad memories they have. Those stones were to become a milestone, a, a marker, not a shrine at which Israel would worship. There was a prohibition against that. But they were to be a visible reminder of the amazing things God has done. God told Joshua to erect this visible monument to be explained by stories because when we tell our stories, the next generation instinctively is asking, what do those stones mean? And as we tell our stories, we point, we point to those three questions. Who is God? Who am I? And ultimately, the purpose question. What is God's purpose for us, for creating me? What is God's purpose in in creating this body, Rexdale Alliance Church? I find it so interesting that those stones were, were drawn, had come from the riverbed of impossibility. The very thing that Israel feared so much, the the dark, swirling waters of the Jordan River, it was the very thing that separated Israel from God's covenant blessings. And God said, build a memorial to which you can point as you reflect upon those, those pivotal events in the life of this people. Don't let them ever forget how Israel's history intersected with world history. And that's what I loved about that slideshow, as you saw the conditions in our world in which Rexdale was being proactive in sending people around the world. Your history intersects with world history in amazing ways. And in a sense, I'm pointing to a pile of rocks. I'm, I'm talking about my experiences this morning, but talking about your experiences and praying that they will show you who God is, remind you of who God is, remind you of who we are as a people, and challenge us to think about God's purposes. First of all, think about how they reveal who God is. Imagine what an impact that muddy pile of stones taken from the the riverbed of impossible situations. Imagine that crowd of 40,000 people standing there and, and beginning already to reflect on the fact that apart from God, they had no hope. I mean, they... After they crossed the river, they they would look back and see that the Jordan River had piled up in a heap. That's what the scripture says. Waters standing like walls. You know, skeptics try to explain it away, and they say, oh, it just dried up. And I say, indeed it did. It just dried up. Who ever heard of waters standing in heaps? No, God intervened for his people in a miraculous, unheard of way. There is no human explanation for what happened. Not only did the waters pile up in a heap, but the people walked through on dry ground. I can't explain it. I cannot explain it. But that's the kind of God we worship. 
That's who God is. And that's why rehearsing our past reminds us of who God is. And folks, that's the God who sent me to Romania in one of the most oppressive periods of of the church's history in that country. There is no human explanation for what the miracles he did on my behalf. The only way I can explain explain it is to realize that people here were praying and God was responding to impossible situations as the Rexdale people prayed. I can remember hearing from Sunder and Sham and Frank and Polly and the Roadhouses and the Rapetskys and the DeMonts. They were my small group when I was here. And um, many, many times telling me how that they would unexplainably be awakened in the night and compelled to pray for me. And later when we would talk about it, or they would look at my itinerary and realize that I was at that moment crossing a difficult border into Eastern Europe. Sometimes they would get up. They had to get up and pray. And I was the one over there experiencing how, as border guards, would search my suitcases. They seemed blind to the fact that I had notebooks filled with teaching notes. Or even to see my Bible. Bibles were contraband in those days, like drugs and weapons. I could tell you stories of how he sent angels. I'm amazed how when I come back to this church, people remember me as the woman whom God, to whom God sent angels to deliver me. I wish I had time to tell you that story. Standing on a train platform, thinking, how am I going to get to my train? I could hear the whistle blowing. It was ready to pull out of the station. But there was a huge train blocking me on the platform. And I stood there and I cried out and said, oh God, help me. And with no explanation, a man was beside me. He spoke to me. I don't know if he spoke in English or Romanian, but I understood him. He said, let me help you. He took my suitcases out of my hand and led me through that train, jumped down on the other side, handed me my suitcases, and as the train pulled out, I turned to thank him. And there was no one there. God sent angels to deliver me at times when, when I was at wit's end. He allowed me on two occasions to see the angels so that in my weakness I'd be strong and perhaps so that I could encourage the faith of people here at Rexdale who were praying. I can't explain it except to point to experiences like that and say, that is what God is like. Who is God? He's a faithful God who delights in caring for his children. And over and over as I stood in confusing circumstances in communist Europe and questioned why God was doing what what he was doing, I had to reflect back that a sovereign God was in control, taking care of me. I always put his sovereignty, which means he can do whatever he wants, hand in hand with his providence, which means that God takes what he does and makes it work together for the good of those who love him. He's an absolutely faithful God who delights in answering prayer. Don't forget that as you continue to send missionaries out. Don't grow weary in your praying for your missionaries. I could keep you here all day of of telling you such stories. People would ask me, were you frightened? And I said, you know, I wasn't. I think because your prayers infused me with courage. They were like the wind beneath my wings during those days. That's who God is. Let me talk for a few moments about how our stories reveal who we are, who I am. You know, the stories that we liked most as children, as our father told us stories, we loved the stories in which he revealed what a naughty little boy he was. Somehow I think 
we began to realize that even though our father was a sinner, as we were, God had chosen him. God loved him. God used him. There was nothing in my father, humanly speaking probably, that made him worthy of being chosen. And yet he was God's man. Do you ever marvel at the fact that you were chosen by God to be one of his children? Do you ever marvel at the fact that God has chosen this body of believers here at Rexdale to bless them profoundly? That true thought to fill you with awe every time you think of it. Many, many times over the last few last years, I've heard Sundar publicly ask, why, out of all the people in North India, why did God choose me? I ask the same question. Why did God choose me? Because I have such a sense of being chosen. I am chosen. I am so blessed. God has done a mighty work through me. God has done a mighty work through Rexdale. I hope you continue to reflect on that through this year of Jubilee. Why has God chosen to bless you? Why has God protected this church against disunity over these years? Why has God blessed you so financially that you can share your wealth around the world? I think it's explained in scripture as we look at the children of Israel. I flip back to Deuteronomy chapter 7, verses 6 to 8, where Moses says to the people, The Lord your God chose you out of all the people of the earth, on the face of the earth, to be his people, his treasured possession. The Lord did not set his affection on you or choose you because you were more numerous than other peoples. For you were the fewest of all peoples. You were insignificant. There's nothing inherently special about Israel. And I suppose we could say there's nothing inherently special about Rexdale. But it was because God in his sovereignty loved you. That's what Moses goes on to say. Because the Lord loved you and kept the oath he swore to your forefathers when he brought them out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the land of slavery. I don't know why God in his sovereignty chose me. It's not something in which I can arrogantly take pride. I don't know why you are a sovereign people chosen sovereignly by God to be so much blessed. Because there is no arguing that Rexdale is a blessed people anointed in ways that many churches never experience. And so I will say there is something special about Rexdale, but the only explanation that I can give you is simply that as with Israel, in his sovereignty, God chose you because he loved you. God can do that. He can make those choices. There's no other explanation. But there's something else here, too. I think God has blessed Rexdale because of his covenant, You are a people of his covenant. And hear me on this, young people. You are blessed in this church. You enjoy the blessings of 50 years of history because God is honoring today the commitment that leaders in the past have made, those who went before you. In this verse in in Deuteronomy chapter 7, it was because the Lord loved you and kept the oath he swore. He kept his promises to your forefathers. I believe we're blessed as, both as individuals and as a church, not because of anything good in us, but as I've already said, because he chose to love us and also because God is keeping his promise. To men like Ross Ingram, God has not forgotten the courageous faith 
of men like Ross Ingram, this man who told the manager of the Royal Bank back in 1962 that he'd better write faith into that loan they were getting because there was no way that motley crew could ever pay it back. God is, Rexdale is reaping the blessings of God's goodness because of the faithfulness of those who laid the groundwork. Godly men and women like, I remember my experiences, my encounters with Mr. Zacharias, and I could name many, many people, if I took the time here, the Ingrams and the Downies and the Krishnas, so many of them, so many of you who are still with us here, you, God is honoring your faith. And just as with Israel, I want to say, know therefore that the Lord your God is God. He is a faithful God, keeping his covenant to a thousand generations of those who love him. We are so blessed because of the faithfulness of the leaders who went before us. If you think back, if you have time this afternoon, read the story in Joshua chapter 3, because it tells how that God told the, the leaders, when your toes touch the water, I'll provide a way through the Jordan. And if those leaders had held back in unbelief, Israel would have become a joke among the nations. And can you imagine them standing there and, and in, their heart, in their minds they're hearing God's instruction, step in, step into those waters. And they did. And the record tells us that the miracle took place. There's no room for arrogance here because it was a mighty God who did those mighty things. And if people like Ross Ingram had not stepped into the water, Rexdale might have become a joke in this city. But it's because God keeps his promises to men and women of faith who dare to step into the raging river. But there's another reason why God is blessing Rexdale. And with this I want to end, because, but it answers that purpose question. God is blessing Rexdale because Rexdale's reason for existence is in line with the purposes of God. I firmly believe it. Let me address that third question. Everywhere I go, young people are asking about the the reason why they were created. They're interested in the purposes of God for their lives. They'll ask me things like, why do you think God did all those cool things for you in Romania? They want The rising generation wants to know the answer to that question. And I say to them, that that third question boils down to one thing and one thing only. In Joshua chapter 4, verse 24, the last verse of that chapter, it says simply that God did, he did this so that all the peoples of the earth might know that the hand of the Lord is powerful and so that you will always fear the Lord your God. So there's two reasons there. He did it. He did these amazing things for us in this church so that the peoples of the earth might hear. And then the second reason, so that you will always fear the Lord your God, so that faith will be kept alive in this body. If you look at Genesis 3, right from the start of the Abrahamic covenant, God called Abraham and he said, through you all peoples on the earth will be blessed. I have to say, it's not about us, it's about them, it's about the peoples of the earth. And that is why he created me, that is why he created this body, Rexdale Alliance Church. And I want to say this morning that if your life does not align with the purposes of God, then you will never realize the purpose for which he created you. If you really want to know the purpose of God in this world, the only question you can ask is this, how does what I am doing with my life 
point to or intersect with God's intention that all the peoples of the earth might know. That's what this is about. It takes away any temptation to pride or arrogance because nothing else matters. That purpose question is really where I want to end in a moment. But before I end, I want to just leave one quick warning for this church. Because as the story of Joshua the leader fades from biblical history, there is a sober commentary on the generation that followed Joshua's. Moses had been so good at telling the story. Moses had, all of Deuteronomy is Moses telling the story to his people. Joshua had been so good at telling the story. But as we look at what is written in Judges chapter 2 verse 10, it says, after that whole generation, Joshua's generation, had been gathered to their fathers, another generation grew up who knew neither the Lord nor what he had done for Israel. Then the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. They forsook the Lord, the God of their fathers, who had brought them out of Egypt. The pile of stones disappeared, and the children quit asking, and the parents quit telling. And when Joshua's generation died, it says that the next generation had forgotten who God was. I think they they grew arrogant as, as Israelites, and they began to believe that they were blessed because of something good in them, that they were deserving. There was an attitude of entitlement, and they actually thought they deserved God's blessings. And that's my warning to you this morning, to never take those blessings for granted. To the younger generation, I say, ask the older generation, interact with them, ask them to tell you the story of God's goodness. As I finish, I want to take you to a verse in Habakkuk that I think I preached on as I was going back from this platform in 1989, January 1889. As I was preparing to return to Europe, God gave me this promise from Habakkuk. Look at the nations and watch. Oh, I've been thinking of that this week as we watch the Middle East. Look at the nations and watch and be utterly amazed Because I'm going to do something, God says, in your day that you would not believe, even if you were told. It was a prophetic word from God in 1989, because at the end of that year, we watched in amazement as the Berlin Wall and the Iron Curtain came down, and communism was dismantled across Eastern Europe. And the church in Romania was strategically positioned for that moment in history. I believe Rexdale is strategically positioned for the ongoing unfolding of the world of world history and mission history. When I think back to that that conference in Romania, the women's ministry in Romania has spread far, far beyond Romania. The church in diaspora, the Romanian women have taken this ministry. There were women at that conference from Italy, Spain, Portugal, Russia, Moldova, Uzbekistan, Turkey. Brazil, Canada, USA, from as far away as South Africa. And as we would stand to worship, and the women were praising God in many languages, for me it was a prelude of what I think is going to be happening at that great ingathering of the harvest, the redeemed who will gather one day around the throne of God. And scripture tells us, listen as I read it, after this I looked and there before me was a great multitude that no one could number from every nation and tribe 
and language, standing before the throne and in front of the Lamb, and listen to what the multitude is crying to the Lamb. Salvation belongs to our God, who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Everything mentioned from this pulpit and in this church points to that day. God's purposes will have been accomplished. And we will be standing in that crowd. And I close this morning asking you to ask yourself, how does my life point to, align with, contribute to the purposes of God in this world? He's done great things for us. Why? He did this so that all the peoples of the earth might know. May it be so. You know, that verse that Miriam gave us as a warning today about how the generation after Joshua and his generation died uh, didn't know God. I've been aware of that verse, about it, talked about it, but last night as she shared that, I found myself asking a question that I've never asked before of that test. It doesn't tell you who failed. <laughs> so I found myself asking the question, did the elder generation fail or did the younger generation not want to learn? I don't know. What was particularly thrilling was a, a young man just out of school in the college came and said to me, Pastor Krasundar, I had exactly the same question on my heart. We've got young men and women who are thinking sharply. Praise God for that. So my blessing is twofold. Now for all, and you know who you are. For all those of you who at this moment in Rexdale's history, looking ahead, know that you have much to give to the next generation. I want to bless you with a fresh commitment of the solemnity of that responsibility. And may you also begin to experience the joy that comes from intentionally communicating everything you know to the next generation. And then my blessing for those of you, that next generation that's waiting. I want to bless you with an appetite for holiness and a zeal to know your father and your mother's God. That you might not be moved with those changing winds that are all around you. But steadfastly you might say, tell me the story over and over and over again of your God. How he was faithful to you. And inspire me to believe that he can be as faithful to me as well. And may both of us, older and younger, be captured by those two visions. Go in Jesus' name.